are the uh, paleontologist. Yes, yes, I am. And you are a periodontist. See, now they're as different as night and later that night. I just wanted to let you know about my study group. Oh, don't be a fuddy-duddy. I'll be your study buddy. I'm about to embark on one of the great challenges of my scientific career. This work right here is going to change history. I think this is going to be our greatest mission. I don't have time to study. I'll never get into Stanford. I got big plans for you tonight. I got maps. I got charts. I'm going to see you through this because my credibility is on the line. It's at this point that you'll want to start taking notes. Welcome to The Sitcom Study, the podcast where we investigate the TV shows we grew up with and search for the truth and wisdom within the tropes and cliches. And today we have another very special episode. What are we talking about today, Amy? All of our episodes are very special episodes. Um, Yes. So today we are talking about the doppelganger trope. Yes. Now let's get right out in front of this immediately. (laughs) I say the word doppelganger, doppelganger. That's how I've always said it. I understand that's not exactly right. I never thought much of it Uh, until the last week or so where it has become a hotly contested issue in this household. We're not going to belabor the point. Here's what I am going to say. I am going to make a good faith effort to say doppelganger, to pronounce it correctly, over the course of the next in order to hours. avoid the seventeenth phonics lesson that he has, right. but in turn, <laughs> in turn, I ask that when I inevitably slip up and say doppelganger, that you just move on. <laughs> Don't need any weird looks or any lectures or anything like that. I cannot um, guarantee that my reaction won't, in some way, point out your erroneous pronunciation. Anyway, uh, yes, doubles and doppelgangers, I think, was the the trope we had talked about. And this was an interesting journey, right? Because going into this, I thought of this as one of your main sort of like classic sitcom tropes, one of your sort of signs, oh, when they jump the shark, they do the thing where you put one of the actors in a wig or something and you make them be a different character, yeah. right? And the the big example I always go to that we're not going to talk about today was Charles in Charge, right? One of my personal favorites where you had Aunt Lillian, right? Charles's mom, who's played by Ellen Travolta. She leaves town and then the same actress, Ellen Travolta, comes in in a ridiculous getup and the whole- it's like Aunt something. Exactly. It's Aunt so-and-so. Aunt Vivian or something like that. So it was- obvious attempt to sort of you know uh, feed into the ego of this actress who was tired of playing the same boring mom character for however many years and they said or it was just like wouldn't this be funny maybe but whatever it is uh this is one of those things that they do all the time like every dumb sitcom does this uh but the truth is when we when we take out examples where a character is becoming another personality right like urkel urkel and urkel right Mm -hmm. or charles and Chaz. right we get rid of those that's a different thing we'll discuss at another time that's a different trope right the personality alteration or the alter right the multiple personalities right we're talking specifically about another character who just for some reason and the reasons are all different is an actual doppelganger right looks just like one of the characters and is played by the same actor but is a different character because there are other episodes where they have the one that looks just like the person 
action, and it's actually not played by the main and character. I'm going to argue, and we got rid of those as well. Right. We said I'm going to aren't... argue in at least one of these cases they should have done that. Oh, and it would have been interesting. Much less ludicrous, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So what we're talking about are episodes where there's some kind of doppelganger where you have the same actor playing two characters right, right so just to give you the overview chronologically starting uh in the 60s what are our episodes okay so starting in the 60s we've got bewitched season three episode 18 and then there were three and then we have i dream of genie season five episode 12 my sister the homewrecker we have all in the family season nine episode 15 a girl like edith and then we have Friends, season two, episode 10, the one with Russ. And then we conclude with Third Rock from the Sun. That's the three-episode arc. Um, it's the season finale of season one, and then the season opener and episode two of season two. See Dick run, see Dick continue to run, and see Dick continue to run continued. So going back to the older ones, right? Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. So before we even get to the doppelganger element of it, uh, Bewitched began in 1964. I Dream of Genie began in 1965, right? So this, this was like right, right on, on the heels. I think one is sort of a naked uh, copy yeah. of the other. But if we could just for a second dig into the, the difference in the concept here. The concept of bewitched is what if your witch was, or sorry, what if your witch was your wife? What <laughs> she's if you, not a witch, she's my wife. What if your wife was a witch, right? So it's, I think you would call that a high concept premise, right? It's it's your classic sort of like, let's, let's put a fantastical element into this mundane mm -hmm. real world thing. But if your wife was a witch... You, there's this element of like, you would be sort of at her mercy, you know, like she's, she is like this sort of powerful creature that has that, that can, you know, uh, cast spells and do magic. And uh, it's, there's a certain power dynamic there that they, they alter a little bit with the second show, I Dream of Genie, which says, all right, we're going to do the same thing. The wife has magical powers, but this time she's a genie. Right. So right. instead of being at her mercy, uh, you're her master. Right. And and you know that because she calls her husband master all the time. It was very disconcerting. I remember watching that show when I was younger and thinking it was funny and like, you know, on reruns or whatever. And it's, oh, it's so cute. And that's so funny. And never like the master where she's like winking and nodding and staring right in the camera when she's like, I know, of course I didn't clock that. I was a child. It was very disconcerting. It's weird as hell. The, the very first scene, Barbara Eden's like looking straight in the camera midriff on display talking to her husband's colleague being like well i could never do that because of my master so Whoa. yeah i'm gonna say i'm not that familiar with i dream of genie i know that the concept is she's a genie but like what's what's the deal there like did he rub a lamp and yes. like he is an astronaut and he you know, the modules, like he was a space explorer and the modules used to um, land in the ocean. And then the, they would like send the boats out to collect the 
the guys who were in the little capsules so that were in the ocean. So she's an alien, Jeannie. No. His capsule landed in the ocean and then drifted to uh, a deserted island. And he was on the deserted island before he was picked up by the boat. This all happens in the open. I know. In the, in the like, credits. Yeah, that's true. And so, and then he finds this lamp on this island and he rubs it and then okay, that's but how they meet. So, but... When you get a genie, aren't you supposed to have three wishes? Or is it because she she falls in love with him that she becomes his ever Maybe one of his wishes was, I wish you were my wife. I don't that know. That seems like the kind of thing they always say you can't Or you can't for. do. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, to be fair, like their relationship seems fine-ish. Like, I don't want to get totally just hung up on the master thing. And, I like, mean, have it definitely was a, a wink and a nod. Be a total deal breaker. But all right, like, episode one American astronaut Tony Nelson splashes down near a deserted island, finds a bottle that contains a beautiful genie named Genie. After helping him get rescued, he sets her free, but she prefers to come home with him. Besides, she is very much in love with her handsome master, and she will grant his every wish or desire, no matter how much trouble he gets in. Okay. Apparently, he also has a fiance during this episode. <laughs> that okay. So that's of. so she calls him master almost just because it's like that's her way, right? Right, like that's mm -hmm. just still super disturbing, and uh, you know, I just I just wanted to point out that that these these two shows have basically the same premise, but a sort of different power dynamic uh, right. between the differences of, of, of being a witch versus being a genie. Uh, although, based on what you just said, she's a genie that's not exactly a genie anymore. She's like the genie at the end of a lat. She's been set free. Right. And now she's just like a magical... Yeah, she still has all of the, her powers and, and whatnot, yeah. but she, so if she uses just... them with her own. He's not really her master. No. So, She's yeah. chased him down. So, okay. What happens in Bewitched? So in Bewitched, this is also the birth of their first child. So this is a big episode for Bewitched full stop. This is a highly anticipated birth of a child in a universe where yeah. adults can't sleep in the same bed. So how they got pregnant, we'll never know. It's, it's presumably the culmination of a pregnancy arc, right? That right. must have been going on for yeah. all these shows. And so, yeah, it is bizarre. This does not smack of like, gee, we ran out of stories. I guess we'll have a weird lookalike. It's like they're in the middle of a major story and decided to throw in this element of the lookalike. And it, it's a lookalike cousin, which can I just say, you mentioned Patty Duke earlier, unless my understanding of genetics is wrong, such a thing does not and cannot exist. If sisters marry brothers. No, no, because- It's incredulous. A twin, the reason why identical twins are identical is because they are the same embryo that splits and that can only happen inside the same person. Right. Are you trying to use the word? Are you trying to say that the word identical has this scientific meaning? Yes. That, in terms okay. of when you're saying ident, I think when they say identical cousins, they want you to think it's the same phenomenon as identical twins. Well, it, but okay. So here's the deal. It kind of is. 
not on the science level, but on the fact that they look exactly alike. Whatever. I don't want to get bogged down in this. I just want I mean, to say I it's a preposterous. I kind of do want to get bogged down in this. Stuff. It's a preposterous look, idea. I don't think it's a preposterous idea. I think it's absolutely reasonable when you have, like, think about the idea of sisters marrying brothers. You would have the same, like, a same sort of similar gene pool in both, both cases where you could pull but from. That, that, that's the not what happens. The other thing to think about. Shows. The other thing to get, you don't know that. You I'm don't, tr- I, you I don't think background. What I'm saying is this. There are an awful lot of cousins that look an awful lot alike. And maybe it's just that you've got people throughout history having, you know, sex or having relations with their husband's brother or with their sister's, um, I can't keep this straight, or with their wife's sister. And so that's why you would have cousins that potentially look alike because they had the same father. I just think in all of these instances, they want to have the same actor play different characters. They don't want them to be siblings because that would mean they'd have grown up in the same house or whatever. So they just invent this they idea come up with of this identical idea. cousins, which just always gets my goat. Uh, but we'll we'll agree to disagree on the likelihood. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, they're having a baby. I, I jotted down. I thought it was a funny line when uh, Darren, the husband, is trying to get her out the door. And he goes, we might have to name the baby Freeway because that's where she's going to be born. <laughs> you know, like just... Also incredulous at the idea, like how many babies are named after where they're born? <laughs> like that, 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 that is Brooklyn, if it, if it Paris, did, yeah, Rome, like all of these children. <laughs> it's it's a thing you can do, but if your child is born on the freeway, that doesn't mean you have to call her freeway. Call them I-95. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's a super intense post-birth scene. The nurse, supposedly like, you know, hard-ass nurse played by Eve Arden. She was amazing. Yeah, she's really funny. But this this made me think, how often does uh, Samantha take to gaslighting people around her as a way of concealing her powers? Well, like, that's their whole thing. That's what they have to do all the time, yeah, right? Their whole thing is, no, no, you didn't see those flowers well, it disappear. didn't really happen. No, you didn't see that other nurse turn into a frog for 10 minutes. And this this poor woman, like, you're, you're right, the actress does a good job and it's funny, but I was really just kind of like feeling for her. Like, she's basically having a nervous breakdown throughout the episode and you're supposed to just kind of chuckle at like, ah, she's going crazy because she's seeing stuff that doesn't make any sense and no one believes her. Yeah, I again, I enjoyed that, but also that's that's what happens to Darren every episode. Every episode, he thinks he's going crazy and then realizes that, oh no, it's just Sam or Sam's well, mother or somebody else but he has, uh, with what, the hijinks. And so that's why he's always so but at what point does it is it on you to expect the unexpected when you know you are married to a witch? <laughs> you know. Fair enough. Um, yeah, the mother <laughs> is a, is a wild character uh, in her appearance, in her she behavior. Looks, well, okay, so we'll say this: I, I'm fairly certain Divine Brown based her makeup look so, on yeah, this character's eyes for it's sure. Extreme. Yeah. But she's playing into that mother-in-law stereotype. I guess that's, that's part and parcel of the concept of the show. It's not just what if your wife was a witch, what if your mother-in-law was also a witch? Yeah. And so to get to the doppelganger element of this, which is almost an afterthought, but basically, uh, and this kind of has this in common with the I Dream of Genie episode, they get uh farcical. There gets to be yeah. a sort of like, 
there's all kinds of mix-ups and people coming in and out and what's going on. This is back in the 60s when you weren't nobody but the doctors and the oh, nurses were allowed in there. Classic dad birth stuff. Yes. Classic pacing around the waiting room, smoking a pipe. Uh, there's another dad there and it's like the joke is you're smoking the other guy's pipe. You know, like the entire humor rests on the assumption that like, Okay, so you're having a baby, so obviously you're smoking a pipe in the waiting room. But what if you accidentally smoked the other guy's pipe? But let's cut to the chase here. This so anyway, yes. So so the baby comes, all all is well, everybody's happy, and then um, and Dora tries is trying to calm down the dad, trying to calm down Darren, and tells him all these things. And and they were just he was like, what is what does the baby look like? And she says that the baby looks like Samantha. And then they get into this argument as they all they get into some argument, I guess, as they always do, because they have this um, contentious relationship. And and Dora, the mother-in-law, threatens to, and now grandmother, threatens to just age the baby up right like right away so she can be proven right that this child looks like samantha and is going to be the picture of samantha when she grows up and darren's like don't you dare right so this is an interesting fake out right because mm -hmm. it's it's ultimately a fake out to the character darren but it's kind of a fake out to us too because she's the the grandma says like well why don't i just age her up for a little while so she can be an adult for for 20 minutes just to give you a sense and you think like that's the episode right there right like that's a perfect bewitched storyline is is you have the baby be a young woman for a for a little while have her be played by samantha but instead, that's only she doesn't actually do that. That's only what Darren thinks is going to right. Happen. That's the fake out. He's totally faked out. Then you know more things happen, and this uh, the nurse woman keeps you know seeing flowers, not seeing flowers, all the things you know, all the funny little gags that you can do, and um, and yeah, and then finally the cousin Serena comes to visit, and when her flowers get you know, she's told that she has to get rid of all her flowers because there's too many flowers. It's going to suck up all the oxygen in the room oh, yeah. is what this the nurse is, keeps yeah. saying. This is about as scientific as identical cousins. If you have too many flowers in the room, it's going to suck up all the oxygen, right? You know how flowers, they're, they're just constantly breathing up all the oxygen and there's none left over for the patients. So they, they have the baby, they have all this hijinks, uh, the, the central misunderstanding is Darren encounters Serena in the like the gift shop or whatever. You know, this is during the days where you didn't um, your baby didn't stay with you. They didn't do the like keeping them on your chest right away or anything no, like that. No, the nurse is like, like a, the nurse has yes, an iron fist. Exactly. So the baby was not with the family and Endora um, you know, I guess being more of nature and that she's a witch and whatnot. But anyway, she came in and took the baby when no one was paying attention out of the nursery. And so then Darren goes to look through the window to see his baby yeah. and the baby's not there. And there's Serena standing in the same spot looking into the nursery as well. Okay. And he sees Serena and he immediately is like, Only no, what are you doing? And she says, excuse me, do you know where I can find a rattle? Okay, because and, his assumption is yeah. this is his baby who just, I guess, part of the spell is that she she is adult enough to understand English and ask for a rattle, but baby enough to still want, want a rattle. Want a rattle. So he's like, oh my gosh, what's Endora done? And then follows this woman 
who we know as Serena, to the gift shop and to another right. store across the street or something like that, follows her all around and keeps saying like, but I'm your daddy. And she's yes. like, uh, no. Yes. So yes, that's that's the whole hook, right? He thinks he's talking to his baby daughter who has just been born and has grown up to, to has been magically transformed yes, into a woman. Yes, and in one fun exchange, she says to him, I wasn't born yesterday. And he says, no, you were born today. Yeah. And that's kind of the gist of it, right? Yeah, I mean, that was it. They really didn't do a lot with it. The they had the one scene where they were on the phone with each other, so that was in like you know two different places and filmed at different times. And then they had the scene where they were sitting in the um, hospital room together, and they would use the reversal, um, you know, filming method. So you saw the back of the one character's head or the side of the one character's yeah. face using um, a body double, and then they would flip it around. But in terms of like. Like, where does this get them to to use this character? You know, like she doesn't, she's not particularly like funny. No, there know? really wasn't much to do with it. But I think it was a a function of having, you know, Samantha's going to be in recovery. So she's going to be in bed. So she's not going to be out and about in the hospital interacting with Darren very much or doing these other things. So maybe this was a contrivance to be able to have um, Liz Montgomery in a little bit more of the episode. So even though most of the time she's in this recovery and she's doing this, then you can have different scenes with Serena. So oh. using the actress. Yeah. It just seems like a little bit of a waste of that idea you don't get the sense in this one she's she's not really an evil no uh, doppelganger she's... no the hijinks are only about what darren perceives and not yeah. actually so about really any okay hijinks. so me reverse engineering it it maybe it's more about the the humor in that misunderstanding of if she has a cousin that looks just like her then it'll be funny when the husband thinks that his daughter has been aged up. And so it's almost like they're introducing the character for that reason, uh, rather than because they think it'll be funny to give, uh, you know, Elizabeth Montgomery a new personality and yes. new role and to play. this is the first appearance of serena who becomes a recurring character throughout the rest of the series so in an episode that is more along the lines of what we were talking about with hijinks due to the doppelganger you've got um season three episode four double double toil and trouble mm. and this is one where serena is passing herself off as samantha um, and tries to drive darren away in hopes of ending the marriage okay. so that type of doppelganger hijinks comes in other episodes. And that was one of the things we noticed when we were doing research for this was that a lot of these doppelganger episodes, they, they, they're done multiple times. Like they're such, they become these like fan favorites. Oh, so they bring them back. And it's also like you're saying in this time, it was sort of ill used. Like there was, there was more, they could have done more. And I think they realized that. So then they have, they bring it back and then it's a fun little sweeps episode. Yeah. The actors always love it because they're stuck playing these same characters for years and years. And that's exactly why you get Urkel and Urkel and all that kind of stuff. But uh, if you want to talk about uh, doppelgangers who want to uh, throw a monkey wrench into a marriage, uh, we go. can move on to I Dream of Jeannie. Back to I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah. Season five, episode 12. And it's episode 16 for some reason on 
Prime. But the, the title is My Sister, the Homewrecker. My Sister, the Homewrecker, no matter where you're looking for it. And this one does have Jeannie too. She's a very creative name. This is Jeannie's sister, also played by Barbara Eden and with brown hair as opposed to the lead actress's blonde hair. And she is unhappy that Jeannie has married her astronaut hubby that found her on the island. And this is not our first encounter with her, apparently. So this has been established, but for whatever reason, everything online seemed to point us to this as her sort of like big episode. But it begins, you're, you're, I guess, supposed to understand who this character is, because this begins with a cold open, like something out of the Batman TV show, where just no context at all. It's just evil genie two going, oh my God, they got married. I can't believe it. Well, not if I have anything to say about it. Time to do an evil plot. Roll credits. And we just go into the theme song. That's basically exactly it. And uh, yeah, the story for this one is is both complicated and simple, it's right? Big, yeah. They go to simple. a party, but Jeannie can't go. Jeannie doesn't want to go because Master is coming home and has been away and so she wants to stay home and be we with him. We don't have to call him Master. I mean, I does. can't help but lean into the cringe. Now, can I also say, uh, again, not super familiar with this one myself, uh, this is why there needs to be a little bit more diversity in these old shows. I thought that these two characters were the same character for the first like 15 <laughs> the minutes. Two men. Yeah. The, the, two men. the main guy and his friend from work so, are the same person. Major basically. Nelson, the main character who has these like big blue eyes and a young boyish face. That's Tony. That's Master, also known as Major Nelson. Yeah, and he wears a, sl- a blue uniform right. because he's in the Air Force. Now his friend Major Healy, who wears a green uniform because he's in the Army, who does not have that young boyish face. Oh, he's at a all. slightly older, white, brown-haired man. Uh, that you got confused. When, once we get settled, the the plot line is that Tony, the husband, goes to a party without no. No, you're confusing them again. Tony is coming home. Master is coming home. And there's a party that night for another famous astronaut pilot-y guy. Oh, and neither of them go. That's going to be in town or that's coming Uh into town or going to be in town or whatever. Can I say this character's name? Excellent. Excellent name. Biff Jericho. Right? (laughs) What? My life? If my name was Biff Jericho? Jellico. Jellico, sorry, you're right. Biff Jellico. Mm-hmm. Also a major. Major Biff Jellico. He's coming back into the space program after a few years away, competing in auto racing. So he has gone out and he's got himself some honeys. And that's been his life. Now he's like super good looking bachelor, man about town, rejoining the space program. And they're throwing this party for him at the uh, boss's house who they call him doctor, but he's like ranked above these majors in the, at the base there. Right. So neither of our, our two main characters are here, right? right. Jeannie or Tony. Are Jeannie both. and Tony stay home to have a night in together because Tony's been away and Jeannie wants to make him right. dinner and have, they want to have a night in. So that's what they decide to do. So it's a perfect opportunity for Jeannie too doppelganger genie to go and make waves so she pops up again with her brown hair she zaps the brown hair away and puts on the blonde hair and then goes to the party yes, posing now, as genie posing one. as genie. can i just say quickly you know i didn't watch a lot of a lot of shows from this 
time a major like Austin Powers vibe from this <laughs> from the party. costumes and the uh, hair and everything. definitely uh definite like a Blake Edwards feel if you know uh he he made the Pink Panther movies yeah. and this movie the party same time period and that same sort of feeling with that 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 music and the people all dressed like that in the house it just it reminded me a lot of the blake edwards vibe and to an extent of uh, austin powers well and this Continue. is 1969 this is when this episode aired so spot on with your references as well yep this is very hip kind of getting into like the swinging yeah, 70s a little bit of a mod, yes sort of. definitely that vibe lots of the vibrant colors did you notice at the party Major Healy's date, Farrah Fawcett. Oh, I wouldn't Baby Farrah Fawcett. Wow. Okay. Uh, No, no, I didn't notice her. Um, But Jeannie, too, shows up and makes out with Biff Jellicoe, right? Right. Long story short. Long story short, she hangs out in the backyard. Biff um, has all the women, like Major Healy's date, uh, Farrah Fawcett. She comes in with him and then immediately leaves him to go hang out with Biff. And Biff's surrounded by all the ladies, just like, oh, hey, hey. And then he steps outside and Jeannie Two is waiting out there, immediately seduces him, and that's the end of it. And, and everybody hooked. witnesses. Everybody, oh, that's right. They look they through the window. They have the weirdest kiss I've ever seen where they're kissing for like, like minutes. But just like you're saying with sleeping in the separate beds and stuff, I guess the standards and practices type things back then, they were like, if you're going to have people kiss on camera – they can't move they their can't mouths. Move. It can be a long right? kiss. So they can lock into a, a kind of like an open mouth kiss, but just like freeze. I was like, say, their like, faces were just mashed together just for like the people, length of an entire conversation. Yeah, like people in a play where and you just sort frozen. of freeze. Yeah. So the doctor and his wife um, are standing by a window and then they open the window and they look outside and they see them there. And that same uh, gag is used again later on. Exactly. So we've got, so that gives us one character in Tony's periphery who thinks that his wife is cheating on him with Two, astronaut it's the Biff doctor Jellico. and his wife and okay. and they well, live right. one like party party yeah and then they live nearby and so anyway we'll find we find out later that the wife has gone to Jeannie during the day when the guys are all at work and been like trying to get out of her the gossip of why she was locking lips with this Biff Jellico guy right. she has no idea and she has of course has no idea we don't this all happens off camera we don't see any of this right. later on in the day um Biff says to him that he's fallen madly in love and he's done and he's going to get married and he gives him his black book I found this so odd that Biff Jellico is like since I've met this this beautiful woman the other night, I don't need my black book anymore. Here, you take it. So he gives it to Major Healy. Right. And Major Healy is flipping through it like, oh, my God, this is going to change my life. So my question is, in the late 60s, was it understood, like, if you're a woman and a guy calls you, it's like, that's it? Like, if he has your phone number, you have to sleep with him? Like, why was it such a boon for this guy to suddenly have access to these phone numbers. Like, I get that 
that's a, a, a lead. It's helpful. But he yeah. was reacting. What other lead would you have at that time to a bunch of single women? It's not like there was a Facebook, you know, that you could know who's a yeah. missus. I'm just and imagine this conversation where this guy calls up and is like, you, you don't know me. We've never met. But astronaut Biff Jellicoe has decided he no longer wants to play the field. So he's given me his black book. And now I'm now I'm calling you. I mean, who knows? So that's how uh, Major Healy finds out. Biff tells um, Major Healy to go get, he says, where are the best flowers? What's the best flower shop? So all these other characters now basically think that Tony is being cucked. And so then then in the next scene, we see the doctor, who is um, Tony's boss, calling that same flower shop because he's sat Tony down and has been like, hey, look, pay attention to your wife. I think she might be unhappy. Yeah. He's not hearing any of it at all. Doesn't he's like, whatever, she's fine. We had a great night, you know, whatever. But of course, never actually says we spent, you know, we had a great night last night together. So they decide to get flowers on his behalf. Right. For not they, uh, just the Jeannie. doctor. Doctor right. the doctor says, I'm gonna buy flower, you know, calls up the right. same flower shop, classic buys flowers for Jeannie. Classic minimum communication right. approach from a sitcom. I'm not gonna address the issue, I'll just add more confusion. Fusion. So then that night, Major Healy is supposed to go over and have dinner with Jeannie and Tony. And mm -hmm. he goes over there not knowing that the doctor has bought flowers for Jeannie, but knowing that he had told Biff to go buy flowers for his lady love from this place, sees the big thing of flowers there uh, from that place and is like, oh my goodness, Biff, Jeannie is is with Biff, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And right. so then, this was supposed to be just like a quiet dinner, <laughs> and then the doctor and his wife come over, and Tony is like, hey, is it okay if they stay for dinner? And Jeannie's like, yeah, sure, master, whatever. And so now more and more people are coming over, and this is turning into a dinner party. Right. All the while, everybody thinks that they are witnessing like a marriage that is falling apart, that Jeannie is flagrantly cheating on this guy all over town. And the only people who are unaware of all the, these weird scandals are right. Jeannie and Tony. Yeah, Jeannie and Tony themselves. And so it's farcical, obviously. I mean, the, this whole thing is set up. And then Jellico himself right. shows up. And then he arrives. And then later Jeannie too herself is lurking outside. So this whole thing, yeah, totally goes into farce mode. Yeah. You know, people coming in and out of rooms, everyone's, you know, no one's on the same page. And uh, Jeannie too has been popping in and out, right? So at one point she pops in on the staircase and just like reminds us that she's bad. And then major, um, what's his face, Major Nelson, Tony, sees her, thinks she's actually Jeannie, not the sister, and she calls him like a nincompoop or something. They get into a little bit of an argument uh, with her as Jeannie, now Jeannie too, and he gets mad and then goes into the kitchen to confront Jeannie, actual Jeannie about it. And she's like, what are you talking about? I didn't do any of this stuff. Yeah. And so that's as close as we get to them realizing before everything kind of blows up. Right. And when everything does blow up, we have a very interesting solution to this problem. Because what we have now... Oh, right. The we solution have, to this problem is ridiculous. So we have all these people thinking that Jeannie is cheating on Tony. We have astronaut Biff Jellicoe thinking that he has fallen for this woman. Uh, 
right? Genie. Oh, um, yes. Actually, he does. He does for a moment. We do see for a moment that he's actually once he realizes that he's uh, courting a married woman. He said he backs, he's, down, he backs totally. out. He's like, I'm out yeah. of here. He goes to leave. Right. And then, then Genie, too, pops up outside as Biff is leaving. Reseduces him. And puts the little magic, you know, zing potion right. on him. So here's the ultimate solution. A, uh, lock Genie in the closet, right? I wrote down the, the specific quote, this is where disobedient wives go, right? So just- Because that is what is said. Just continuing the, the airtight sexual politics of uh, I Dream of Genie. Uh, Tony locks Genie in the closet. No, sorry, locks Genie too right. in the closet, right? Because right. now, now it's, it's all sort of out. So, yes. Yeah, so, uh, t- uh, Tony and Jeannie, after Tony has the fight with fake Jeannie, um, and then goes into the kitchen to confront actual, or to talk to actual Jeannie, um, about the fight that they had had earlier. And Jeannie denies it, doesn't know what he's talking about. She's like, ugh, and pops out and is just as like, I'm out of here. Like, don't talk to me. You're being rude or whatever. And then from outside, one of the extra characters drags Genie 2 in from where she was lurking outside. And that's when Tony realizes that this isn't her. Right, that there's a double Genie situation. Right. He shoves evil Genie in the closet. He's saying things like, oh, <laughs> she's, uh, you know, that that's where disobedient wives go. And then and she's banging on the door, like, let me out, let me out. Bear in mind, this is not a magical closet. Yeah. And she can pop in and out of wherever she wants to go. Yeah. As Genie 2 is being locked in the pl- in the closet, original Genie decides the only way to get astronaut Biff Jellico off my back uh, without revealing that I'm a Genie is to create a third persona because because biff jellico doesn't realize and they don't want him to realize that there are multiple genies right so she is now posing as the woman that biff jellico thinks he is in love with right but she is introducing a third persona now into the mix she's acting all weird and annoying and going like yeah oh show you like me do you <laughs> well okay but she's okay she's not claiming to be another person no, she wants him acting, to think she's the same person right, she's, but she's inventing a whole new attitude now to turn him off okay i thought that she was behaving in the same obnoxious way that genie too behaves as we've seen in other episodes that she is this obnoxious no, like sexed up yes absolutely as though you were making fun of the mm-hmm. person in the same way like when i do your voice like hey i'm jay I do, 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 do. yes like, it is about <laughs> as accurate as that exactly yeah uh <laughs> we get genie one pretending to be genie two doing this over the top annoying sort of like she gum chewing kind of wig and has her brown wig underneath it and she's like don't you know it's me Oh, yeah. I just always, sometimes I like to go blonde and sometimes I like to go brunette or whatever. So basically in like, I don't know, eight seconds, she gets uh, astronaut Biff Jellico to completely reconsider his entire infatuation and just go like, you know, I, uh, I left the stove on and just... Split. Peace out. And then the doctor and his wife are like, did you know Jeannie had a sister? I didn't know Jeannie had a sister. 
Does everyone else know that she's a genie? Like, who are we even concealing this from? The the, the friend definitely does. Major Healy knows, and he's the only one. Okay, not the boss. Not the boss, okay. not the boss's wife. So, yeah, so, you know, oh, you know, they they leave now, but the doctor and his wife leave. They're like, I didn't know Jeannie had a sister. Well, who knew? Da, 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 da. And then off they go, and they leave. And at this point, Jeannie, too, who's still locked in the closet, has stopped making noise. Yeah. It's like she's no longer banging on the door trying to get out. Like she's just there. Yes. When so, you're when your hostage stops struggling, that's, that's always a bad sign. So they so but before the doctor and his wife leave, they say, Well, wait a minute, why is your wife still locked in the closet? And yeah, he goes, well, she likes it in there. She right? likes it in there. She's always asking to go. And then he like peeks open the door. You okay, honey? Okay. And then closes it up again. And that's it. Yeah. And we find that what has actually happened is that Jeannie Wan has banished or imprisoned. No, that's not yet. That happens after the doctor and his wife leave. She's like, well, one last thing to do. And she, you know, bops her head and immediately... um turns the whole closet into its own little genie bottle kind of thing that mm -hmm. she can hold in her hands. And Tony brings his head back out of the hole that where the closet used to be. And there's, you can see the drywall is now gone and it's just like studs in the background and he's got construction dust all over him. And he has to like pick himself up a little bit from down below because the whole closet is now no longer is is now lo no longer in a closet. The whole room that was the closet, okay, she I... has disappeared into this. Right, they, and they show a little mini version. Right, this handheld closet that she's holding, and and so she's trapped Jeannie too there. Yeah, so we have I don't know. So we have one so far that is the doppelganger. I don't know, just sort of being a, a plot device uh, for this particular misunderstanding. And then another one that really goes like full farce mode, people right. making out with the wrong person, mistaken identity, all kinds of stuff. Yes. That brings us now to 1979, I believe, uh, which is uh, when uh, the, the last season, I think, of beloved sitcom All in the Family. So this is All in the Family. Season nine, episode 15, we're coming to the very end of this series. So season nine was the last season of this show. And the episode is titled A Girl Like Edith. Yeah. And this is the most surprising to me of the shows that we watched. So just for a little context on this, All in the Family is considered like one of the best sitcoms of all times, yeah. of all time, right? This is like your sort of classic post-60s culture war, right, where you have uh, Archie Bunker is your sort of typical uh, white aging Republican, sort of vaguely racist. Uh, Not you even know, vaguely racist. <laughs> sort of old-timey uh, ideology. And then Rob Reiner and Sally Struthers are the young hippies. Uh, and then Edith, uh, Gene Stapleton, is always trying to kind of keep the peace. And uh, people love this. I remember watching episodes here and there and, you know, not really getting it, but thinking it was good. Um, yeah. So this is 1979. This is 10 years later than the I Dream of Jeannie episode we watched. Totally. Yeah. Totally different in terms of the uh, if you think if we were, you know, we were seeing like the swing in 60s um, kind of you know, young married couples, no kids sort of lifestyle. 
this is a completely, you know, you go from, you go from these people are astronauts and they're, you know, race car drivers and they're fancy parties and they're in Florida and all that to cold, damp New Jersey. No, sorry, yeah. Queens. They're in Queens and and everybody's working hard and hard yeah, working. It's the difference and... between aspirational versus right. like, no, this is how it is. Mm -hmm. This is like, we want to see people maybe a little worse off than you so you can feel okay. <laughs> so that we're already at the point in the series where we've lost Mike and Gloria, right? You know, um, Sally Struthers and Rob Reiner are no longer with the cast. They've, they've left the cast at some point, I think, in season nine. They added a little girl they've taken in a little girl who's like a great niece or grandniece or something but so uh edith is at the supermarket or something she's at the laundromat, um, she's at the laundromat. that's right she's at the laundromat and her old butcher happens by and sees her comes in uh, we find out through the course of the conversation that he's no longer her butcher because she stopped going to him because he had such a big crush on her that it made her uncomfortable. This is an old Russian guy. Oh, I thought German. Or okay, German or Czech yeah. or something. Yeah, um, something like that. that. Yeah. Anyway, so, but we find out that, yes, he still adores her very much and she reminds him of his uh, dead wife, but now he has a fiance who's just lovely and... Um, he's so excited and also reminds him of Edith and he's going, Oh, I love her so much because she reminds me of you. And she's going, well, no, no, I remind you of your dead wife. So I remind you of your dead wife. <laughs> right. So it's, she's trying to downplay like, no, I don't think it's that it's that she reminds you of me. That's the thing. It's that she, she wants to remove herself from right. the equation. That's and so also she's so humble. It hurts. She's just like, why would anybody like me? Like throughout this whole episode, it's just, I am, I, I am mad for the acting in this episode. I, I know you were going off on Archie Bunker. Well, like, yeah, we'll you, get to that. You were sighing and things while we were watching it, but I like, it's all, it's all heightened, like talking about sure. the heightened aspects of the way that those fantastical shows, you know, Bewitched, I Dream of Genie, had that fantastical element. This doesn't have any of that, but it had these characters it's, it's are like in its own. cartoony, right? Like yeah. they're, I mean, literally cartoony because yes. of, you know, family guy, thanks. But, um, but they are, they're cartoons of themselves and it's so fun to watch them play in that playground. I just, I couldn't get enough. And then when we do meet Judith, who is the, also played by uh, Jean Stapleton, who is the German version <laughs> This, this, she's a German woman. She is the complete opposite of Edith's character. She's very, she has a very deep voice and she's cold and quiet. You know, quiet. Um, and she, you know, is very stoic, doesn't have any of the like nervous, you know, energy that Edith has. It is just a joy to watch an actress be able to play that range. Like, I loved it. I thought that was great. Well, hang on. So before we even meet her though we're told by clemmer oh you gotta meet my fiance she's just like you judith clemmerstadt yeah he's going oh she looks like you and even her name is is like yours so edith goes home after this exchange with clemmer the butcher and tells archie that they're gonna have them over for after dinner dessert 
and coffee. And um, so she's kind of hurrying him through dinner and he doesn't want to have company and he's annoyed that she's made this these plans and he doesn't like the butcher because the butcher's obsessed with her in the first place and that's why she stopped going. She's like, why are we having your former butcher over? Blah, 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 blah. Mm, pretty he's, good question. <laughs> he's just kind of annoyed. But he never says a word about, and no one, nobody except apparently Clemmer, and I must have missed that part, ever says that they look alike. She comes in and Archie and Judith have this whole sort of one-sided conversation where Archie just keeps talking and mugging to the camera and never, he never in all of his many asides where he like makes funny faces and looks at the camera, oh geez, does he ever say that they look alike? Yeah, no one acknowledges it. It's unclear what function it serves to have them look alike. But can we just stop for a minute on... Archie Bunker's acting. Um, Because I don't like, it's it's fine if that's what it is. I just was not prepared for it. And I wonder to what extent it's like this overall, or if this is like a David Schwimmer situation where he got more wacky. Because I, when I think of All in the Family and, and Archie Bunker, the character, I definitely... I think of those big eye rolls and that kind of like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like that, th- those, you know, really kind of flamboyant deliveries sometimes. But I was not prepared for this. This is like a full on Jim Carrey style, just like, like not, he's not bouncing off the walls in terms of his his physicality, but what he's doing with his face and his voice and everything, it's just like, it is dialed up the wazoo and is is like silly oh like, it absolutely it is a caricature of itself and i think that you're right because i i like you was not a, a I, I didn't watch this show it was you know it obviously it was on you know when we were babies it was not something that i watched on reruns because it wasn't really pitched for kids anyway and then just in years since have you know do you hear about how it was like it had all this po- these political statements and how it was you know kind of it, the way it took on race and certain things in a time where that wasn't really happening so i guess i have seen bits and pieces of it but i was also unaware and unprepared for the amount of mugging that yeah. was at the center of archie bunker carol connor's acting it looked like it was something that was normal though because the extreme close ups they were doing on all of the characters both uh, Edith and Archie they got they would do these extreme close-ups when they would make a face and leave it there they didn't have a line or they only had one yeah. line and they'd be like oh gee didn't yeah. now part of that is you have to keep in mind that these shows are made for televisions that are like a tenth of the size of the TVs you watch them now right so if you want to get a good okay, shot enough. of somebody's yeah. face it's not going to be like 10 feet tall the way it is when we watch it. <laughs> okay. But uh, it's just so extreme. And I think it's also a case of like nature abhors a vacuum. I think if you put that guy in the mix with Rob Reiner and Sally Struthers and Gene uh, Stapleton, and you've got, you know, some more weighty dialogue and all, you know, he doesn't need to be such a clown. But in this case, it's like the whole scenario is kind of threadbare. The other actors aren't doing much. And, and he there just is no takes physical over. movement either. They are sitting in, yeah. uh, uh, 
I mean, well, and the set was, I think they had moved some of the set around because it looked really empty in the place that normally has like the dinner table there behind mm. that piano area. It was really, really open. And I have a feeling that had to do with some split screen stuff that they were trying to do. So the set sure. looked really bare and weird on the um, like kitchen table sort of dining room-ish yeah. side we of the family also, room. Yeah, in terms of the technical approach to this. So uh, like you said, this is a decade later than the other shows. Those shows are a decade later than Patty Duke. So uh, the split screen thing is not, you know, is not that impressive or new or interesting. But this show is the most coy about how it does it. This entire sort of first big scene where they're all interacting, right? Where uh, what's his Clemmer and Judith come over. They don't show them in the same shot. They use the body double trick for 100% of it. They don't ever show Edith and Judith in the same shot to the point where you start going like, oh, did they not have that technology? Are we not ever going to get to see them in the same setting? Yeah, it doesn't happen until like act five. Right. Because I was... Thinking that the episode was over and then it came back and there was this whole like fifth act or whatever where we finally got that shot with the two of them. So Edith spends a lot of time in the kitchen, but then Edith does come back out. They do the body double thing a few times and then... Clemmer and Edith sit down at the piano yeah. to sing because this is something that I they're guess they've super, done. They're before. super chummy from the get go. Like right. they're already just alienating Archie and Judith with how like weirdly affectionate to each other. So then Archie says to Judith while. Edith and Clemmer are getting ready to sing at the piano. He turns to Judith and is like, take a load of this one, you know, like knowing what's about yeah. to happen. They sing a song called I Love You. <laughs> I have to say, I love this idea of like the piano and sheet music are your entertainment where it's just like, oh, like, well, everyone. It's we, 1897. Yeah, like we all know how to read music and sing and play piano. So, oh, cool. You have some sheet music. Great. Let's go. So she. Have you never been to a drama kid party? That's exactly how my entire middle school and high school life was. So they, yeah, they sit down at the piano and she's like, oh, here's a good one. And whips out the sheet music to a song called I Love You. And they just like sight read it together and play and sing it together. Well, I, I thought they said this was one of our favorites. So uh, okay, I got the sure. feeling maybe they You see them reading it yes. in a way that I just found very impressive. Like he actually needs to see like, okay, that's a C sharp. Let me make sure I hit that. So as they're singing, Archie's just, you know, he knew this was coming. So he just has his sort of yeah, he face. Yeah, care less. I mean, he could care less, but he also doesn't like it. He finds it annoying. Right. But he doesn't think that Edith is going to bang this guy. No. In fact, though, one of the funniest things later on in the episode that just floored me was Edith being like, or, sorry, was Archie being like, well, Edith, this is your fault. You're just such a sex pot. Yeah. And she's like. Am I? It was the cutest moment. Yeah. But the, yeah, it's funny because again, it's her naivete. Yeah. It's just her going like, oh, well, I didn't think I was a sex part. So as they're singing, Judith, the fiance, is getting more and more upset mm -hmm. at the close relationship that these two have because she had already heard of Edith. And, and she said to, you know, Edith, when they had one of their conversations on the couch where we use the body doubles and the reversals that, um, that she 
had heard so much about her and he talks about her all the time and she was so happy to finally get to meet her. And then she just watches this chumminess continue and they're singing about love and they're kind of leaning into one another and she gets up and storms out into the kitchen. Yeah. This is how we finally get in yeah. act five. Edith walks in and gets applause Entrance from the applause audience. Entrance applause from the audience because Edith walks into the kitchen and you have both Edith and Judith in the same space at once. So I have no idea what the studio audience was seeing. Maybe they had it up on, you know, they had it up on uh, televisions or something for them. But there was entrance applause when the scene begins, when the two Gene Stapletons yeah, get to Because they've both, saved it. Right, because they've saved it to the end and you, you're seeing both of their faces at the same time. Yeah. And they sit down and have a little talk, right? Mm -hmm. At the kitchen table in the kitchen. And, and that's, that's it. Yeah. This character is the opposite of the Charles in Charge thing of, oh, I'm, I'm bored of playing this character. Let me get a chance to really sow my wild oats. It's like, no, I, I want to write me a new character so I can sit there and do nothing and stare under sunglasses and be sad. She did this wonderful German accent. She was, you know, uh, she right. was good. Yeah, <laughs> they had this whole, the, the bit of her character was that Archie kept not being able to pronounce her last name appropriately. Yes. So her last name is Klemmerstadt. So they, Archie throughout the episode keeps saying her name weird. And she gets these close-ups where she gets to roll her eyes at him and make and pull a face at him. Yeah. And I guess story-wise, if you want to make a story about jealousy, they're saying so if you have a doppelganger, if you have if you have someone that looks exactly alike, then that's a reason for a character to get upset because their their partner is attracted to this person. Right, but again, like it's him. never mentioned. Like she never mentions that she that Judith never mentions yeah. that she thinks Edith looks like her. None of that's ever mentioned. It's it is you could have done this without the doppelganger. There was like you were saying earlier, there was no point um except for that one scene that got the applause that had a nice little monologue from Edith. But yeah, it just like this one felt especially slapdash. The the actual story step by step just seemed the most sort of like senseless and arbitrary to me. And then, yeah, the whole use of the doppelganger thing, I guess the reason why it bothers me is because if you've had a show that's been this grounded for so long, why toss it away with this stupid fantastical bit for no reason? You know, you could have just had some other old lady play her. Um, I think it's exactly that. They they were running out of scene. They were running out of ideas. It was coming to the end. I just looked up the the end date. Like this episode aired in February of 79. And the oh, is show, that sweeps week? That's, I, I think almost all of these that we've looked at aired in Februarys. And that is, you know, the like winter sweeps, uh -huh. right? February sweeps. So not at all surprising there. But this show ended in April of 1979. So it almost is maybe just literally reverse engineered from like, Hey guys, do a doppelganger episode. Find a way to put Gene in in some other yep. get up. Everyone will love that. We can put on the commercials, and they they come up with this exactly. So that brings us to Friends. Friends, the one with Russ, yes. also the one where Joey gets cast in the role of Dr. Drake Ramore, also the one where Monica dates Fun Bobby. Yeah, there is a lot going on here, and it's funny you immediately see with Friends, like you just remember how. 
not in all cases, but in some cases, it kind of defies that A, B, and C story thing. Like they're just all important and they've all got stuff going on. This one begins and ends with Joey scenes. It begins with them going to the newsstand to see the reviews for his play. The reviews are horrible. He's depressed. It ends with him getting word from his funny agent lady that uh, he got the role of Drake Ramore, which is super important to the series because that's, you know, they have all kinds of jokes about that. So in that sense, it's a Joey episode. But then you also have... Uh, it sort of tackling alcoholism, albeit in a not so serious way with this fun <laughs> yes, Bobby in that thing. alcoholism is good. And the thing that you right. need, isn't it hilarious to be fun and also deal with a not fun part. Right. Basically, if somebody gets sober, you want to kind of uh, get rid of them you because break up with them. they're going to be kind of a bummer. So, but, but yeah, setting aside both of those, right. We're here for the titular plot line right this episode is called the one with russ right and And chandler and sorry chandler and phoebe their whole purpose in this episode is to be the voices of reason chorus who are like uh this guy russ looks exactly like ross and we're gonna sit here in the coffee shop and eat popcorn while we watch Ross engage with Russ right. while we watch Jennifer Aniston's character engage with so Ross So the premise and here, <laughs> So first of all let's just say that Friends is going to go on to have another double right because we're going to have Ursula Phoebe's twin sister Ursula first making her appearance on Mad, Mad About, About you. you and then once Friends got big they did a, a few little crossovers right. like we chose this one because the Ursula stuff could fall into several other tropes, That's right? True. The Ursula stuff could fall into crossover episodes. The Ursula stuff could fall, you know, it could fall into several other categories. Um, so that's why we went with the one with Russ. So in this case, we have the opposite situation of all in the family. Instead of someone saying, oh, I have this new uh, uh, significant other who's just like you. We have uh, Rachel saying, hey, everyone, I can't wait until you meet my new boyfriend. I'm not even going to tell you his name because even his name is a ridiculous joke. Uh, but, you know, I have this new guy that uh, I can't wait for you to meet. And then he shows up. It's your classic sort of like, you know, we're about to cut to commercial. Like he walks in. It's David Schwimmer with this like moppy wig and a leather jacket. And he goes, hi. And most importantly, a chin piece and a fake nose. I All right. I didn't know. I didn't pick up on that directly. I picked up... I that he looked different. Yep. So he actually has prosthetics on to he make him look different. He has prosthetics on to make him look different. It's it's very weird. Like I never really looked that closely at David Schwimmer before to notice that he's one of these guys that like doesn't have a chin. His face sort of like disappears into his neck. But Russ has a very pronounced like almost John Travolta dimple chin. Right. So we get the joke is... Yeah, Jennifer Aniston's completely over Ross because now she's with Russ, who is just the same exact guy. And of course, Phoebe is the first one who sees this Russ character and is immediately agog, like, how do you not see this? And is looking at Rachel like, no, seriously, you're like, you're playing, right? Like, you see it. You you see it. And she's like, what are you talking about, Phoebes? (laughs) Yeah. And I just... This was so much more broad than I 
remembered anything on Friends being. Uh, and not that I ever thought Friends was like some sort of super serious, grounded thing, but this was just so silly. Like, as soon as he walked in, it just seemed like such a sort of over-the-top, just-for-laughs kind of tone. It was very fun. The series obviously is very funny and silly and stuff, but this was just so goofy, the whole conception of this character. And so, again, unlike All in the Family, we dive right into the split-screen stuff, right? Lots of fun little exchanges with the two of them together, where the idea is like... Again, it's like they're the same but different, right? Because aesthetically, Russ, uh, not only does he have the longer hair, but he dresses a little differently. He's got the leather and stuff like that. But they both have that weird, mopey, sort of uh, sleepy... Kind of sleepy, deep voice, yeah. And, well, so they have this fun little scene where the two of them are sitting on the couch getting to know each other and and immediately dislike one another, you know, mm-hmm. because um, yeah. Ross you still could not wants be to more date wrong. Rachel. You could try, but you would not succeed. And it's supposed to be like, that's exactly the kind of obnoxious thing that Ross would say. Yes, you know? exactly. And the difference between the two of them in that moment, besides the prosthetics and costumes and whatever, is that Ross, David Schwimmer, Ross, has this higher voice and is like, you know, when he's talking, he's like, well, you're just a, you know, you're, you're a, a, a dentist or a, no, not even a dentist. He's like, his job is like a, he's a periodontist, periodontist or something. Right. So they're both these like, like jobs that are called doctor, but are right. not your are standard not. doctor. He's like, well, I'm a real doctor. No, you're not. You study gums. What's right. like, what's that like? Key words. Too. Yes. Paleontologist and periodontist. periodontist. Same exactly. number of syllables. It, yeah. And he's like, so what, how did you get your diploma? Like day one floss, day two diploma. That's it. It's the smallest body part or something. He's making fun of him and he's doing it. And his voice is pitched higher. And then it goes to Russ who does what you said with the sort of lower pitched, you know, voice. Anyway, it's, it's very silly. It's very broad. It's, you know, it's cute. And so again, like all of, all of these Scenes are done in sort of comic strip style because we have just like Full House last week. We have so much going on that, you know, we need to advance all these stories in little 20 second scenes in some cases, you know. And so this one, basically the crux of it is Rachel thinks she's moving on from whatever sort of did or didn't happen with Ross yet to this whole new guy. She doesn't realize she's dating somebody who is a facsimile of Ross until she does. And then she basically walks up, witnesses the two of them talking to each other, says, ew, because she realizes what's going on. Story over, right? Isn't it funny that she was dating this guy? And what I would argue is like, look, whatever. It's it's fine if they want to do something goofy like this. But if they had done the thing of found an actor who was a good sort of like he had a lot of those, that same uh, David Schwimmer vibe, Mm -hmm. you know, find someone who's kind of the same age and has got kind of the same look and you dress him up similar, you know, like they've done in some other shows, you know, like on Silicon Valley, when they find someone else who's got that same middle ditch vibe or whatever, you know, same energy. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think that that would have been better. That would have been more fun. And it just, the fact that this is only season two and you're already going to something so goofy, I guess what I'm saying is I'm surprised 
that people didn't consider this like a jump the shark moment that everyone was just on board with like, ah, that's funny. So that's really funny because the reviews about this episode are that it was one of the best. Uh, It's this great episode. And I think it's exactly to what you were saying before is that because there are so many storylines, there's the three different storylines going on. Each thing is only handled in kind of like very short, cute little snippets. And so the scenes aren't drawn out so much that it's laborious, like with the all in the family episode where you got to a point where you were like, why are we even using the same actress? In this case, they the, do the the fullest that they needed it to be was that was just to have that one scene where it was very silly. The two of them talking, they get in a couple digs on each other, David Schwimmer to David Schwimmer, and then Rachel realizes, and that's it. And then we move on to Fun Bobby again, who has now quit drinking. Yeah. And then we move on to Joey, who's deciding whether or not he's going to jump on the casting couch. It definitely it's does just not short. Yes, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Right. What I wanted to ask you is just as a fun sort of exercise. If the year is, what was this, 96? 96. Who early would you 96. cast? Is there anyone that you could think of? I kind of have one, but I think he'd be a little too old. Uh, where if you did want to make this more realistic and say, forget the Russ thing, right? Let's just say she's got a new boyfriend. His name's Dave or whatever. And it turns out he's just like Ross. Uh, you know, he's got all those same mannerisms. The one that I kind of went to... He might be a little old at this point, but Matthew Broderick, I think, would be a good sort of like. See, I think he looks like Chandler. I think it's not that he looks just like him, but I think he could play that same sort of like, I'm smart, but I'm kind of sleepy and boring. He has a low key energy. He has a little bit of that, like just built into the way he he sounds. I think the funny yeah. of this was the lookalike, though. It wasn't the no, personality. It's definitely part of it. No, yes, that's the funny. You're yeah. right. But what they're trying to do story-wise, because remember, this is this is mid-season two, right? Mm-hmm. If I recall my friend's lore, season one ends with Rachel seeing the, the video from the prom and realizing, oh my God, Ross has been in love with me this whole time. Season two or some some other season ends with the the big kissing in the in the cafe while it's raining outside and they finally get together right so this Spoilers. is this is in between those two things so this is in the in their will they or won't they phase mm-hmm. right this is probably yeah. when she's going to go out with paulo or something at some point the soccer player uh so what they're doing here story wise i think they could have accomplished you know more more convincingly, if you say, let's let's find an actor that people are kind of familiar with that has a David Schwimmer energy and have fun with that. Right. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, I totally think. And, um, and I think Dylan McDermott, in terms of, they definitely tried to, like, take David Schwimmer's face and make him have more, like... Uh, masculine features with mm-hmm. the with the nose and the chin, sure. And um, and Dylan McDermott fits the bill on that for sure. Like he does look uh, sort of like they, you know, they could be brothers. He but he got the good genes, and David Schwimmer did not. <laughs> so yeah. I could totally see I could totally see that happening. Um, all right. Well, so moving on to Third Rock from the Sun, also from 1996. Um, later on in the year, this is in September. And we have um, the opening of season two. The first episode and the second episode of the season were combined into one. So it was a double episode. This was an hour long event called Sea Dick Continue to Run because the previous season ended with Sea Dick Run. Right. So yeah, again, another high concept 
show. This is all about the the family are aliens disguised as people. So right. uh, the the whole concept that there could be different characters that look exactly the same is sort of built into the show and Absolutely, is not because they're just aliens wearing human skin. Right. So basically. it's not once you accept the premise of the show, it's not even fantastical. And I guess what I learned the episode before this, right, the the season one finale has their their leader, the big giant head, saying that he's going to replace all of them, right? That you failed in your mission. I'm going to send replacements for all of you. And then for reasons that I don't know, as we didn't watch that first part, he decides to only send a replacement for Dick. So at the end of the um, the first season, they're going to replace John Lithgow's character. He's the master high commander or whatever. And um, they're, they... They say they're going to replace him and then evil Dick, his name's Dick. And then evil Dick comes down and takes over. Well, we find out in the first episode of the second season that that was a clerical error. And the person that went through was actually a disgruntled former employee who had done this, had done this on purpose is trying to like get back at, you know, the alien planet and also this human planet and their they're done with it. So anyway, Evil Dick is there. He's bossing everybody around. He's trapped Good Dick in an invisible box. So we get some fun physical comedy. Lots of mime comedy. By the way, they leaned in. Again, I was impressed at the acting in this episode. Like they had all, it, like going back to acting 101 games, they had them, um, Dick in the basement in this invisible box, John Lithgow's character, he's like leaning on an invisible wall. He's doing the yeah. things with it. And this then- This cast is really good. This cast is really good. And then you got baby uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt Gordon coming downstairs and like talking to him in the box, doing like mirroring the mime that he's doing. They have him and French Stewart leaning hand to hand without looking they both just like put their hands up out of the corner of their eye and lean against the box but actually there's no box right so they're leaning against each other they've eyeballed it they hit it spot on i mean it's so great and then they have this other scene where um i don't remember the the actor's name the woman who's in the show yeah, um she plays well. her, her character's name sally and um and she and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, don't know that he's in an invisible box yet. And they come running down the basement stairs and running up to him. And they both hit the box that's not there and fall down. And she does this amazing, like, boom, kind of, you know, hit yeah. and and flies backwards. Joseph Gordon-Levitt flings his hair in such a way that it looks like he hit something. Yeah. It's bananas. The physical acting was on point. Yeah, that super floppy 90s hair uh, comes in handy for those <laughs> physical gags. And all of it's um, very long. Yeah, the, the invisible box is the source of all kinds of fun uh, physical gags. But yeah, the overall story is that for most of these episodes, the rest of the, the family you know, who aren't really a family, they're like the squadron of aliens. They don't know that original Dick is imprisoned in their very house beneath them in the basement. So they're, they, they're fully aware that the John Lithgow that they're answering to is this replacement. He's this new guy that they don't like. And he's 
evil but in weird ways like i don't he's he's horny basically like i don't get what his he's more of like an agent of chaos it seems than like having a particular agenda or i guess we ultimately learn that he do does have an agenda but right, he's trying to create this incubator for spores or something that when he turns it on will impregnate all of the eligible women in on earth and he'll create uh, a, another race of you know aliens or whatever that are just completely within his own control that's what he's trying to do okay so jane Curtin's a series regular she's his colleague that has that he has a weird relationship with they uh they had sex for the first time in the in a season previous one episode. finale in, yes, that episode. in that episode before yes so that was like the will they or won't they of that whole first exactly. season through the course of the first season he develops this sort of caring relationship and is like uncovering his own humanity yeah, through his relationship with Mary who is his colleague. And she's weird too, right? Like she's not an alien, but the idea is she's just kind of eccentric and weird and just kind of like like yeah, yeah. I mean, you're meant him. to understand that she is uh, one of these like book smart, you know, girls that just grew into a book smart woman who she doesn't. It's almost like Sheldon alone. and yeah. Mayim Bialik on yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And Amy, Big Bang yeah. Theory. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, so that that is like a storyline that that was in full swing when uh, normal Dick is imprisoned and replaced by Evil Dick, who also goes out with. Uh, Jane Curtin and wants to have all kinds of like advances on her. Right. Is they, they have these very like protracted seduction scenes where it's like they're doing sort of like metaphorical dirty talk that just keeps getting farther and farther away from the actual idea of dirty talk and sex because he doesn't know evil dick doesn't know what sex is which we find out later in the latter half um so in like the episode two the third of the of the three we find out later that he doesn't even know how to have sex like a human yeah and sally at this point knows that real dick is trapped in the basement they've released real dick and they're trying to get rid of evil dick and have real dick take his place again and so she whispers sally whispers to evil dick what what he has to do to have sex and he pulls away from her and looks down at his foot and he's like oh that's what those are for and so then the gag for the rest of the episode is that he's gonna like Stick, stick his, his foot in that and he hmm. said which he says and it's very weird yeah so this eventually just becomes like a straight up evil dick is the antagonist mm-hmm. like we must you know just just defeat him and right. like and free good dick and this one too turns into a farce in certain ways but it's it's different because in the i dream of genie farce nobody's in on it everybody's right. it's confused. all that dramatic irony right everybody's thing. confused in this one everybody's in on it except mary yeah and no one's confused they're all doing the hiding in terms of evil dick he is always hitting on and sweeping women into these like deep embrace dip kisses that's yes. what evil dick does but yet also doesn't know anything about human sex and is very confused and sort of inept in terms of his like i'm gonna take over the world thing as well so you get this weird sort of like i guess it is just the old let's give the actor a chance to do something different and be a different persona but it's funny just because like 
John Lithgow is is great in general. Like yeah. he's a really fun actor, and obviously his role, uh, you know, you cast him as an alien because he's he's weird. He's got these weird eccentric mannerisms, and the same is true of the evil version of him. So it's not as simple as like Charles and Chaz or Urkel and Urkel, where it's like here's the nerdy guy, here's the smooth guy, here's the good guy, here's the evil guy. Well, it's like again, both though, kind those of weird. are multiple personalities, and I that's know. why we chose not to do them. So I would say let's compare to something like the sister or the cousin or the guy that isn't the guy. You know what I mean? Compare in that way. I think this one of all of them really had it was the it was the best showcase of the actor if the point yeah. of these is like you're saying very often to like spice up a script and give the actor a chance to do something different this one did that in a good way whereas i don't think any of the other ones were as successful yeah, no definitely i guess my point is just the way that they're sort of antitheses of each other it's it's just a little more complicated because they're both so weird. Well, yes, they both are still John Lithgow and very pronounced because I'm John Lithgow. Yeah, and they're just so like like Evil Dick doesn't even seem that evil. So it's it's just No, he's mean though. He does like he won't let the family, you know, he won't let his crew use the car and he yeah, and definitely. he makes them, you know, he he makes Sally wear skirts and she hates them and Yeah, then... he's yeah, he's just kind of a dick. Uh no pun intended. <laughs> he's um, an evil dick. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, I don't know, looking back on all of these, is there any common thread in terms of like what this accomplishes in the show or why they do it? Again, you have this sort of split between like High concept shows where there's magic or aliens or something as part of the concept. And so I feel like that's, again, with, with Third Rock, especially, you have something where it, in a weird way, makes perfect sense that there's doppelgangers. Right, yeah. Whereas something like All in the Family and uh, Friends, where it just totally just sacrifices any sense of, of realism, you know, uh, by by doing something like this. Well, and then all, but All in the Family, to me, didn't sacrifice any sense of realism. It was very, like... Like we were saying, you could have used any actress. Like it, it just that could have been anybody. Yeah. Um, and there was, I think, definitely a missed opportunity, you know, there for um, Jean Stapleton to be able to have a bit of a moment. Like you know, she still did, but they definitely I th th there was a missed opportunity there. I think we noticed in Bewitched also a missed opportunity, but we know that that wasn't meant to be the crux of that episode. Mm -hmm. I think of all the episodes that we watched, the I Dream of Jeannie was the most enjoyable. I Dream of Jeannie was the most sort of like, I don't know, just like what you would expect or want. Like it it, it understood the assignment, yes. you know, and sort of did what it was supposed to do with that, with that misunderstanding. Yeah, and it was fast paced and it was, it was enjoyable for all the reasons that you were talking about with like the, you know, the hip kind of Austin Powers-y mm -hmm. swinging sort of singles and young, you know, young childless couples vibe. It was fun for that. It was, it had, it had the farce, it had the confusion, it had all of the things that you want in that and then none of the other ones really took it to that level yeah i think all in the family is the one to me that's the sort of dunce of the group <laughs> where it's just like what are you doing guys like this this, this serves no purpose it's not funny it's yeah. when i was looking up when did all in the family jump the shark mm. um it 
like basically the consensus is it never really did, but it definitely trickled off in season nine. There's no like a definitive like oh, actual jump the shark ex- episode. <laughs> like sure, we have no, some. it's hard when you lose your key cast members like that, and right. uh, just when, when that much time has passed, I feel like it's almost one or the other. Like if anything, when that much time has passed, maybe you need a complete reworking and have right. all new people, and then maybe you can keep it going. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's just like, it's, it's time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of it being time, I guess that's it. That's it. But we should talk about what we're doing next so that you guys can watch along with us. So next week we're going to be tackling the trope party when the parents are out of town. Classic rite of passage. Classic Rite of Passage. The um, shows that we're going to watch are Saved by the Bell, season two or season three, depending on the classification, episode five, and the title is The House Party. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to watch That 70s Show, season one, episode six. The title of the episode is The Keg. We're also going to watch The Wonder Years, season five, episode 20, The Lost Weekend, and Family Matters, season one, episode 16, the party looking forward to some urkel we're gonna get our first urkel our first screech a lot of early 90s sitcom geekery yeah and the other thing that i'm very excited about so i was a big wonder years watcher growing up i have not revisited that series at all since i was a kid have not watched one in syndication have not i've not touched it I'm so excited. I I remember loving that show and it always like it always found a way to sort of make me feel things. Strong slate. So that'll be next time and uh, that concludes this phase of the sitcom study. Thank you for listening to the sitcom study. Tell us what you think or share your own TV tropes and topic ideas by sending a self-addressed stamped email to sitcomstudypodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you like the show, consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast app. It helps us boost those precious Nielsen ratings. The sitcom study is recorded in front of a live studio dog. Dog.